His name? Oscar Pistorius. Oh, you know him, you just can't remember his name. Oscar was born with a terrible deformity in both of his legs. He didn't have fibia in his legs, and when he was 11 months old, his legs had to be amputated. And as an infant, he had to try and learn to walk with stubs. And as he grew a little older, kind of some makeshift uh, prosthetic legs, and then as every uh, few years, he'd grow more and try more things. But his whole life's dream as a boy was to play soccer. That's what all the boys did in his country. He wanted to play soccer. But no matter how good the prosthetic legs were, they weren't good enough to play soccer. And so his dream really was collapsed. But one thing he realized as he was a teenage boy and and trying to do all these things and keep up with all the other guys in his school, he learned that he was fast. And so when his uh, physical growing stopped, when he was about 18 years old, he had a new set of prostheses made for him. Oh, they were like the others. These were different. These looked like a, a sickle. You might even say a blade. Oscar Pistorius, a.k.a. the Blade Runner. You remember him now, don't you? the first double amputee to ever participate in the Olympics a couple of months ago in London. And while he didn't win, he, uh, he won millions, uh, won the hearts of millions of us. And oh, my friends, how I wish I could say that every affliction turns out that great. But we know it doesn't. We especially know in our own lives when we uh, suffer an affliction, whether it's a chronic affliction, whether it's an acute, whether it's something physical, whether it's something just uh, emotional, some particular trial in our life. We just can't quite get a handle on it. Well, this morning I want to preach on why does God afflict us? Why does God afflict us? And I want to use the passage where Paul talks about his own affliction, his own thorn in the flesh. I will tell you that uh, this passage is almost a, uh, uh, a life verse for me. And yet I've never preached on it. It's always been a secret uh, sanctuary for me to go when I needed a special, a special word from God. Because as I've had to deal with my affliction, there have been times when it's been harder than other times. As many of you know, I broke my neck on a trampoline when I was a teenager. And I was completely paralyzed for a year. And yet, by the grace of God, for 30 years, I was able to walk with a cane. It was a spastic walk, but it was walking. Then I came to know the Lord and 
and he opened my eyes, and I could, I, I had life, and life, abundant life eternal. But still in the back of my mind, I was kind of shaking my fist in the face of God. Why, God? Why me? Then God called me in the ministry, and, and uh, I said, this, this will be great, God. I'm going to follow your call. But I still had this nagging problem, and it really wasn't until I was in seminary that I dealt with this verse. That I dealt with this verse. And I've returned to these verses on a number of occasions through the years, especially most recently as I've deteriorated a lot the last few years. But I want us to see how Paul handled the thorn in the flesh that God gave him. Let's remember where we are as Jeff's preaching through 2 Corinthians. Last week in this uh, in chapter 11 kind of talks about Paul's, uh, his resume, so to speak, his pedigree and who he is and how he's qualified to be doing uh, the things he's doing. And then when we get to chapter 12, the first six verses we won't read, but let me try to summarize them, give you a little synopsis. Uh, Paul's saying, listen, I've really been privileged. I've had some revelations. I've had some visions, whether I've been in the body or out of the body. I've been to the uh, third heaven. I mean, he's a, he's a, I don't understand it all. And don't you love it when Paul says it's a mystery or he doesn't understand it all? That's comforting to us, isn't it? Because we certainly don't understand it all. And we get confused. But Paul's saying, I've been so privileged with his pedigree and his resume and all these things that he's done. He said, I could could even get conceited. I remember meeting Billy Graham one time. To say I met him might be a stretch. I shook his hand. (laughs) Along with about 200 other pastors. But I'll never forget when I got my few seconds looking at him and him looking at me. I said, this man walks with God. This man knows something of a walk with the Lord that I don't know. This man walks with God. And if we were to say, uh, what person in the last hundred years in the 20th century, there's no one person that would be closer identified to, you know, expressing the kingdom of God than Billy Graham. Billy Graham, Mr. Big in the 20th century. Go to the first century, and Mr. Big is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. He's preaching. He's leading people to the Lord. He's starting churches. He's traveling. He's got all these missionary journeys. He's training elders. He's doing all these wonderful things. And Paul says, you know something? It can go to your head a little bit. You can get a little spiritual pride. So we pick it up in verse 7 of chapter 12. We're just going to look at these four verses. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me. Now let's pause right there. Paul says to keep me from coming, because he was giving me a thorn in the flesh. 
Now, we're not exactly sure what it was. God is intentional by the fact that he didn't mention exactly what it was, or we would only focus in on that particular affliction. Actually, he says a couple of verses later, verse 10, he equates afflictions, if you look at it, he says in verse 10, that is why, for Christ's sake, I take delight in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and difficulties. He, he said there are many umbrellas for the word affliction. But most scholars believe that his affliction was a physical affliction. He says, a thorn in my flesh. And it says it really bothers him. That's not quite what it says. It says, a messenger of Satan to torment me. It doesn't say to bother me. It doesn't say to distract me. It is a powerful word that this translator is used to to torment. It drives him crazy. It is 24-7 in the way it bothers him. Now remember, this is, this is Mr. Big. And he's being bothered. He says, verse 8, Three times I prayed for the Lord to take it away from me. It doesn't say that. Three times I pleaded with God to take it away from me. Now we've got to get this, uh, pick up this word here. Uh, this this pleaded is a, is a form of this prayer with intensity. I mean, real intensity, not just a quick prayer over an evening meal or, or even in our quiet time or a small group. Uh, it says three different times. It probably means that he, he went out and probably fasted for days on end, three days a week. 10 days, 30 days, whatever it was, it bothered him so much, so tormented, that he took time away, and he probably went out and he lay in sackcloth and ashes, and he pleaded with God, and he cried out to God, Oh, God, heal me. And my guess, my friends, is that his heart was was probably right with with the Lord. He's probably negotiating uh, with God, don't you think? I mean, let's face it, he was a good Jew. Have you ever met a Jew who wasn't a good negotiator? (laughs) He's probably out there and he's negotiating with God. And he's probably saying something, Lord, I know that I've started some churches. I've done something, but oh God, how much more I could do for you. How much more I got just to heal me of this? Boy, I could really identify with that. I remember when I was um, uh, deteriorating some and at 50 years old, I had to go back into a chair after walking and, and then having to retire from the church and you know, and I'm trying to plead with God. I'm trying to go to God. How about, how about a walker? Can I just go to a walker? How about just some steps, just to transfer the abilities? 
Lord, I, I've done some things here, but God, I'm 50 years old. I'm hitting my stride here. So much, so many more things I could do if you just heal me, if you'd take this away from me. Let's remember Paul, so close to Jesus. As he's, as he's praying, he's probably uh, saying some things like, Jesus, you healed so many people when you were on this earth. You healed so many people that you didn't even know. You healed paralytics. You healed blind people. You healed colonies of lepers. And, and you didn't know them, and they didn't even come to know you afterwards. I, I'm your best friend. And what does God say? God says, no. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. Paul, what I've given you, this thorn in the flesh, this quality of life that you have now, Paul, I'm giving you the, the, the grace to handle that thorn in the flesh, to handle that affliction, to handle that trial, that tribulation. I'm giving you that. And I know it torments you. That means, uh, you know, that you've got to stay pretty close to me. And I know it's 24-7, but I'm going to give you that grace 24-7. But Paul, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to give you tomorrow's grace today. Oh, don't we want that? Don't we worry about tomorrow and, and what's going to happen, how things are going to work out, and oh, what's God going to do? And God's going to provide the grace tomorrow, tomorrow. He goes on and says, my grace is sufficient for you. Boy, if we could, if we could just emblazon those six words on our forehead or on our heart, or maybe... Um, uh, on our desk, or on our refrigerator, on the phone, God's grace is sufficient for me today dealing with this. He goes on and he says, um, uh, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. That's just about the, the opposite of what we do in, as Americans today. We want to boast about our successes. And Paul says, I'm going to tell you about my weaknesses. I'm going to, I'm going to be vulnerable. I'll tell you about some of my weaknesses. So then verse 10, we go back to it. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. My friends, I'm not there. I can't delight uh, in my affliction at all times. There are times I take wonderful delight in it. There are times I see how God used my affliction to draw me to himself and to keep me so close. Oh, there are times it's a wonderful, wonderful union that I experience with him. But there are other times that it's still bothersome. I delight in weaknesses, in insults, insults. I wonder what that means. Was he insulted? Was he bullied? Was he picked on? 
in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Four takeaways. Number one, afflictions come from God. Afflictions come from God. Romans 8, for God causes all things to work together for good to his children, to those who he loves, to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Are you his child? That he loves you. And he's causing all of these things all baptized under the umbrella that we call providence. God working in your life and our lives and working all things out for his glory. It might not be our glory, but that's not why we exist. For his glory. And yet somehow or other, we have to get to a place, my friends, where we can say, not my will, but thy will be done. Isn't that what Jesus said in the garden the night before he was to be crucified? When he went in there to pray, wasn't he praying? Wasn't he pleading? Didn't he perspire droplets of blood? Didn't he pray that it be possible, Father, let this cup pass from me, that I do not have to go through this? But not my will. Thy will be done. That's the Lordship of Christ, isn't it? That's the Lordship of Christ. That's what it means to be a disciple of his, to work toward that whole principle. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love the Lord. Also, do you remember that Moses stuttered? Some of you remember that. Others, that might be new to you. It's new to you because uh, you don't find it in Cecil B. DeMille's uh, movie uh, or any of the other uh, movies. Uh, Probably one reason is make the movie a lot longer. Uh, but when, uh, you know, when God was now ready to rescue his people, been in bondage hundreds of years, God called a man who stuttered. Of all the people he could have called. So much so uh, that Moses calls this as a defense, as, a re- as an excuse, I mean. The reason he can't do it, oh, God, I am disqualified. I'm glad you asked, but thanks, Aaron. Go to the next guy. I stutter. What does God say, Exodus 4.11? Oh, Moses, who has made man's mouth? Who has made the blind blind? The lame lame? Is it not I, the Lord? God is not afraid to take responsibility for the way we were made, woven together in our mother's womb. Second takeaway, why does God afflict us? Three reasons. First, to get our attention. To get our attention. We're familiar with the proverbial two by four, but as we look a little bit more seriously at it, it clearly is one way that God gets our attention. Hosea 5, verse 15. In 
my affliction, or in their affliction, they will seek me early, God says. In their affliction, they will seek me early. As I bring affliction about it, they're going to seek me early, or else they'll turn away from me. My friends, it only goes one way or another. When something happens to you uh, or to me, it either turns us to the Lord in, in, in prayer and mercy, not understanding, yes, but or it turns us away from the Lord. We get bitter, we get angry. Maybe not on the outside, but on the inside. How sad it is when somebody makes the wrong turn. I talked to Louise Holzauer right after the early service. And she told me that I could share this. That um, she made the wrong turn. When she and Greg were first married. Happy uh, wedded couple. In the first year of law school. And just uh, real excited as newlyweds. Louise got cancer. And had to have her whole leg amputated. Amputated. A young bride. Not quite what she'd ever dreamt. And she said, instead of turning to the Lord, I turned away from him for 10 years. She said it was only through the mercy of one of our members, Debbie Gamble, former member, that brought her back to where now she praises God for her affliction that brought him, brought her to himself. But oh, how she, uh, the pain of going through those years where she made the wrong turn. My friend, if that's you, if God has sent affliction, you've turned, you're bitter and you're mad at him. You need to get rid of that. You need to turn to him. Three reasons. One, to get our attention. Secondly, to keep us humble. That's what Paul says. To keep me from getting conceited. Oh, there's so much pride. We have so much pride. Ministers have so much pride. Paul's saying, I've done all these things for you. Yeah, I know people really think a lot of me. I could do so much more. Just, uh, just hear me that. And God says, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. I don't need you to do anything more than what I'm asking you to do right now with an affliction. And thirdly, to keep us close. God keeps us close when we have an affliction, especially if it's one that is all-consuming. That's all-consuming. Some of you feel trapped in a marriage that you cannot get out of. And it's all-consuming. Some of you have relationship issues with a family member. Some of you have relationship issues at work. We got financial matters. God brings these things to you that are all consuming to keep you close to him, to keep you on your knees, to keep you in his word, to keep you close and talking to him and crying to him and laughing with him. 
But to staying with him, my friends, as soon as you, as you veer away, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. The third takeaway, pray for healing. Plead for healing. Plead for deliverance. I talked to a lady who said she felt her affliction is her singleness. Been single for many, many years. She says she's prayed, but she believes now that God wants her to be single. So she's not praying anymore to that end. She, like Paul, has prayed three times and, or more, and she believes now that is God's call in her life. And therefore, she is going to learn how to deal with that rather than just be mourning about it and sad about it year in and year out. The fourth takeaway, accept God's answer and move on. Accept God's answer and move on. I know another uh, lady who came to me a couple of years ago. She's not a member of our church. And she'd been divorced and been in several years. But she cannot get out of it. She still dwells in it. Still dwells on the problems. Dwells on the emotion of it. Dwells on who said what. You can't live like that, my friends. God's grace is sufficient for you. For power is made perfect in weakness. In just a few moments, the elders are going to uncover the table where we're going to see our Lord and his affliction on our behalf. And there'll be some time for some silent prayer. And I just want to encourage all of us to spend just a few moments during the time of communion to just talk to God yourself about that, what this passage means to you. We do that? Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Father God, thank you for... Thank you for afflictions. Oh, they're not easy. They're not wanted they come as surprises to us. And they level us physically, emotionally. Oh, God, they can torment us. Oh, God, but you send them for our good. To get our attention. To humble us. Or to keep us close. God, we thank you for the Apostle Paul and giving us a glimpse of his affliction, his torn in the flesh. So, God, I would pray that as we just spend a few moments during communion, during the distribution of the elements, that you'd help us to, uh, each one of us, relate to you because of this passage. In the days and weeks and months, years that come along, God, when new afflictions, new trials, new difficulties, new hardships come our way, that we would remember this passage 
that your grace is sufficient for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.